another edition of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. Happy belated Christmas to everybody. I hope you had a good time. Uh, we have the new year approaching us, and Great. so we decided to find a movie. It was kind of hard, actually, to find New Year's related films. Right. It? Yeah, you had joked last week, there, there's got to be a, a, a New Year's Evil or something along those lines. <laughs> in fact, I think there is, but it didn't sound very promising. <laughs> in fact, it, it's not even set at New Year's. It's set like in the middle of the summer, but they just happened to f- stumble upon like some set up New Year's Eve party or something. I thought, well, that's <laughs> an interesting take anyway. Sometimes those titles are just for marketing purposes right. more than anything else. <laughs> I mean, you know, folks, we, we do actually try to find films that are interesting. We don't yeah. just find schlock all the time. This movie, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily call it schlock, would you? No. I mean, I think really for the time period that it came out, which was w- what year? Do you know it was early 80s? 1980. 1980. All right. The film is... Um, called Terror Train. Right. And this is one of four films that Jamie Lee Curtis just basically did back-to-back, starting Mm -hmm. with Halloween. Yeah, and really kind of established her career, established herself as a a screen queen, of course. You know, her her mother, Janet Lee, before her had kind of uh, been a screen queen in her own right, having been in... uh, Psycho. Psycho, right, exactly. Like the original screen queen. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, Jamie Lee does her thing here not dissimilar from those other roles, kind of maiden in distress. Um, I saw an interview that she had done somewhere where she talked about these characters and how, you know, for these girls that she plays in these movies, they have to have a certain vulnerability because you have to, the audience has to believe that they are in actual peril, but at the same time, they have to have enough inner strength to be able to survive to the end. And, yeah. You know, just even to hear an actress, and I think Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing. You oh, know, yeah. She's a great actress. But to hear, you know, her talk about that and really kind of, you know, she she puts thought into these characters as, as simple and as... Uh, kind of cookie cutter as these movies can be, you know, she's she's giving it her all. She is. And now, so that raises an interesting question. Seeing her in this movie and seeing her in Halloween and Prom Night and all those other films, oh, I guess it was The Fog she did before uh-huh. this, which wasn't too great. Did you see a difference? I don't know. I mean, I guess, and I don't know, this came after Halloween, right? It did. So she was a little bit younger in Halloween, and I think that her age, her her youth shows a little bit more in that. I've seen The Fog once. I don't really remember that much about it. I've never seen Prom Night. Certainly similarities. I mean, you know, there's not a a whole lot of complexity or depth of character in these things, but she pulls it off well. She's a good heroine. You're rooting for her. She's a tough gal. Yeah, she does. Uh, You know, she doesn't have a lot of screen time in this one. I mean, it's not the sort of final girl that you're seeing throughout the film that the film kind of focuses around her, right? Yeah. It's not like Halloween in that regard. Right. It's... (laughs) it's kind of more of an ensemble piece and really the conductor of the train kind of takes a pretty pivotal role. I mean, he's, I would say his character is nearly as central as hers is, though she is clearly the final girl, the lead that we're, we're following around, but the conductor gets a lot of business too. Oh yeah. And he gets top billing. He's Ben Johnson, uh, plays Carney, the conductor. I guess. And he's, a pretty seasoned actor. I know, I he, saw that. He has a huge level of yeah, roles in hundred stage, plus, TV. Right? He was on Gunsmoke, lots of westerns, The Wild Bunch. 
you might recognize him from Angels in the Outfield. The last picture show he was in. It's funny. I was looking through his uh, his his list, his filmography, and one of the things that I remembered him from was Cherry 2000. Did you ever see that? <laughs> no, I've never oh, seen that. Oh, man, it's great. It's like a Melanie Griffith, Mad Max kind of really? movie from the 80s. It's, <laughs> it's so bad. It's amazing. You'll have to watch that sometime. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, <clears throat> you know, he, he was likable from the beginning. Yeah. He, he's the jovial kind of guy and you're right he's the thread that really pulls this all together right he's the guy we see in the beginning who seems almost too eager to be getting on a train full of drunk college students yeah. for, on, on new year's <laughs> eve right of course before this train happens there's some backstory right that's very important to the plot that pretty much spells out what you're going to see i mean yeah. it's it leaves you think maybe they're going to pull a twist on you in there and they kind of do, but they kind of don't. Right. right, right. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where there's, interestingly enough, the opening scene is set when this group of, of kids, it's it's a fraternity, Sigma Phi Omega, they're pre-med kids, and it's, it's them and their girlfriends, basically. And the opening scene is supposed to take place their freshman year, and it's at this big New Year's Eve party. I think that they call it Hog Night or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, the, it was like a, a rush kind of thing, I guess. Maybe they're doing a hog roast or something. Or something, yeah. but the uh, all of the newbies are supposed to be trying to get laid. And uh, one of the newbies, uh, Kenny, they set him up for a prank. And Jamie Lee Curtis is kind of in on it, but she doesn't really know what's going on. She just kind of has a, a part to play. The cool guys in the frat, you know, tell this kid, Kenny, go upstairs, you're going to be with this girl, Elena, you know, she wants to be with you, she likes sensitive guys or whatever. And so he goes up to this room that's, you know, all decked out and flashing red lights and, like, satin things hanging around or whatever. And Actually, it's kind of cool with all of the... Uh... Not with the satin sheets and things hanging, but the traffic lights yeah. throughout. I was like, oh, man, when I was in college, this would have been kind of a cool <laughs> Right, yeah, they really They're went all flashing out. and going everywhere. <laughs> they they send this kid into this room, and Jamie Lee Curtis is, uh, and her character's name is Elena. She hides kind of behind these curtains on this bed, and she knows that there's somebody in the bed. You know, the, one of her friends has kind of ushered her in there, and they, she sees something in the bed, and she says, who is that? And the girl's like, oh, don't worry about it. It. It's one of Doc's friends, is what she says. Right. And Doc is sort of the ringleader of the group who's who's been ushering this guy, you know, forward. Exactly right. And um, so she is, the kid comes in, Kenny comes in, and she's kind of luring him with her voice, you know, come over here, don't be shy, it's my first time too. And he comes over to the bed, and the figure in the bed is just kind of slumped over, and Jamie Lee Curtis says, Kiss me, Kenny. Kiss me. And he leans in for the kiss, and he kind of pulls the figure in the bed's hair back, and a wig comes off, and it's a dismembered corpse. Yeah. And uh, it's really pretty grotesque and disgusting. I mean, that w would be something that would definitely freak you out. It's pretty great. And he totally flips out. Totally flips he out. He leaps up, straight up, and starts twirling. Uh, saying no, 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 or something like that. Yeah. And uh, and he's getting all tangled up in the, the curtains. Right. And then we're in present day. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And we jump then to uh, their senior year, um, and it's New Year's Eve again. And so you're right, that opening scene really kind of sets you up. You you know that this is probably going to be a revenge thing. Now, whether that's going to be Kenny himself seeking revenge, or if it's going to be more something like Friday the 13th, where somebody's seeking revenge on his behalf, or something like that. So you, you don't know exactly... Oh, spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Hope you've seen Friday the 13th. <laughs> but, uh, but you get the sense that it's going to be 
be that kind of movie, and it is, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no. it's interesting that that um, that opening scene they shot in post. I guess they felt like they needed to explain it more. And you can kind of tell, you know, throughout the movie, they pepper in little parts of the story throughout. So really, even without that opening scene, you kind of probably could have figured out what was going on, but they just really heavy-handed give it to you right there in the beginning. There's not a lot of... uh... Yeah. Well, you know, with that knowledge, and it's kind of a shame, really, it might actually be a better film without that opening scene. It might have been better writing, just because of the fact that, you're right, there's never a moment in the film when somebody steps forward and says, here's what happened four years ago. Right. They're alluding to it early on and somebody gets interrupted. Some of the earlier, the people who were pledges then uh, come up and ask, hey, yeah, I heard that a bunch of people got in trouble for a prank that went on, not realizing that people in the room were involved. Right. Doc starts explaining it and then Alana, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, kind of interrupts and doesn't let him finish the story. And then later on, a little bit of the story gets pieced out. And, and so it, and it kind of seems like the people who were there and were a part of it are kind of like, no, just, just don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> don't say anything about it. It, it would have been an interesting movie without that, just because the character of... Kenny would have been more of a mystery. Yeah, yeah. And maybe we would have been a little more skeptical as to whether Kenny really did this because we wouldn't have known the whole circumstance behind the situation. Right. It just wouldn't have been laid out for us right. like it was. Right. And I don't know. I, I found that a little disappointing. I guess. I don't know. It didn't really bother me all that much. Uh, I don't necessarily think that it was needed to lay that out, but it was fine. You know, we we were talking about Shakespeare, right? No, <laughs> you know, you get what you pay for. But we were just uh, talking earlier about how the way that this movie was kind of inspired was the director had a dream about a train, right? <laughs> right. And then woke up and, and turned to his wife and said, "What would you think if we put Halloween on a train?" And she said, that's a terrible idea. Uh, so the guy grabbed a notepad and wrote down, terrible train, uh, went back to bed, got up in the morning, changed it to terror train, immediately started writing, put together a treatment the first 20 pages or so, and then had it sold in a matter of days. I mean, obviously, you know, these types of slasher films were in their heyday, really, at it, that point. It's crazy. It's like you could come up with any idea. What about Halloween in space? Right. Oh, here we go. Yeah, it's sold by three o'clock. And that's pretty much what it ends up being. I mean, you've got kind of a masked figure. This one takes kind of an interesting turn on that where it's a New Year's Eve party on a train, but everybody is in costume. So, of course, when everybody's in costume, you never really know who anybody is. And this killer, once they dispatch somebody, they take their costume. And so the killer is constantly in different costumes. You never really know who's who. <clears throat> yeah, it's really clever, and it's really the way to put Halloween on a train. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, there's you can you can go forwards, you can go backwards. Right, uh, there's not a lot of room to maneuver and to hide yourself and to hide bodies, and it's clever. Yeah, actually, so. how that was done. Not just that, but the way that the bodies are hidden and how the killer plays with everybody on the train. It seems like this fraternity is all about practical jokes. Right. Like, they're always goofing off. They're almost to a silly extent, really. Yeah. It's either a little dated or it's just a little hokey. But one guy's dressed up as Groucho Marx. Right. He was one of the earlier guys involved, too. I think his name was Eddie. Yeah, and he's the big jokester. Yeah. And he gets immediately dispatched with the sword as the train is pulling out. Yeah, before they even get on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, you see the 
killer, whomever that is, you know, uh, put that mask on and board the train. So you, you know, know right away. And, yeah. yeah, you right. don't see the killer, but you see right. them exactly. do that. Train pulls away, and we're introduced... Well, actually, a little bit before that, we're introduced to Carney, the fun-loving, nice guy conductor who right. you just can't hate, yeah. who's never going to be a suspect at no. all that he's doing this stuff, meets with his wife beforehand at the station and sort of makes a big deal about the train. Try and see they don't tear it apart. With a party like that, I'm always afraid some kid's going to hurt himself. Maggie, I wish to hell they'd put a radio on that train. What if one of those kids got drunk and fell off? I've been talking on that for two years. Belknap always puts a kibosh on it. He says, we ain't Amtrak, we're just a little old excursion train. <laughs> you ought to be here tonight. You like riding herd on a flea circus. Darn it, I... I really think we need to have radios put in there. <laughs> I love that. You know, I, I love that hokey exposition. Like, we have to establish that they can't communicate with the outside world. Uh, it was pretty funny. And don't expect Amtrak. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but it is. It's like an old school train where they have to, like, shovel coal into it. Right. Which, which I didn't weird. even... Is, is that real? Like, in the 80s, were they still shoveling coal? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It does seem strange. I got the sense, though, that it was supposed to be... Maybe a historic train, like Maybe. a real special kind of thing. It had 1881 written on the back of it. On It had those elements in a train that you don't find anymore. Right, and I feel like it must have been because it wasn't just your standard, like, commuter train. You know, these boxcars... And it was really kind of a cool setup, really. Oh, yeah. um, but these boxcars were just kind of big party rooms, mostly. And they had, in the caboose, there was like a stage where a performance could go on. And there were different kind of like lounge uh, cars. There were sleeper cars towards the front. But no, not just a series of cars with a bunch of seats in it. Like, yeah, there I wasn't a single car right, with a bunch right. of seats in it, yeah. So maybe you're right. Maybe it is one of those like dinner theater kind of trains or it's something like that train i'd love to be oh <laughs> to yeah rent for a party yeah. it looked fun and it was cool um the way that they did it i mean they shot all of the train interior stuff in actual box cars and actual train cars which i think you know i'm no cinematographer that's your that's your shtick but uh i would think that would pose a lot of challenges and especially this being shot on film i mean those cameras are large and they're heavy they had to make some modifications to this train to be able to do it I yeah think. i read that they had to do some like interesting crane I, I mean i assume small crane but like crane stuff to kind of keep the cameras out of the way i'm just impressed that they were able to do it and then return the train to its state because they were basically renting this train yeah and then they had to return it back to the state they had it in i would have imagined they would have had to carve out you know, the walls you know cut holes in it to be able to get these cameras in and around i was very impressed with that i, I was too and it was a cool environment because it was so claustrophobic and i mean that kind of claustrophobia really adds tension and suspense too plus this train was full of kids you know <laughs> full of college kids i mean it was really crowded there was a lot of business a lot of stuff going on it never felt distracting. I mean, it really felt like the focus was where it should be, and they were able to move around with the camera angles in a way that seemed very natural. It didn't seem disjointed at all. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was, you know, a, a real strength of the film. Well, it was an impressive train. I don't know if you were counting. I was trying to figure out how many cars are on this train. <laughs> and I think there were six. 
There's the car with the stage, uh-huh. which also doubled as sort of the dance room, right. right? And they had a band in there as well. And that was impressive, but that mm-hmm. was a whole car. You had the car that was a bar, which seemed to be added on to that, because yeah. I think you passed through that to get to the stage. I think so. That was awesome. That little bar that was yeah. lit up, and then people are lounging, kind of dancing in there. You have the car that, of course, at the front of the train, which is pretty empty except for the little cage area where the conductor would do his business or whatever. Right, like right behind the, behind the engine. It's... Yeah, and that was where Carney and his two or three other engineer guys would all kind of sit and play right. cards and relax. You had the car that seemed to be somewhere... And this is where the geography of the train kind of got messed with a little it bit. It does. But it, at first it seemed like it was at the end of the train, which was just like the fraternity's room. Right. That nobody was really in, just maybe four or five people at the beginning. And then it was empty for most of the time people were walking around through. Yeah, right? and it did seem, like, it kind of seemed like it was at the front, like they could only come in through one way. But obviously yeah. it wasn't in the front because the engine in that other room had to be up there too. There is also, you know, <laughs> you, you talk about the geography, it's <laughs> towards the end of the film when all the mayhem is ensued, Elena, the main girl, Jamie Lee Curtis, is is kind of being ushered around and protected by the employees of the train, I guess. And the, one of the guys takes her to the this car where he's like, oh, I guess nobody's been in here in a couple of years. <laughs> what? <laughs> We've been all over this train throughout the whole course. It's like it's like a secret sidecar or something. I don't know what's <laughs> going on like there. no way with all of this activity in this train and all these people that they're not using every square right. inch of it. Yeah, and, and then there was a car that had the old style berths, which are upper and lower deck with curtains, curtains essentially, just for privacy, and that's it. Right. And that was the one that seemed to have the two toilets in it. Yes. And then there was the car that had the berths like you're describing, where they're private, they're almost multi-room, and they have closets in there. They're really classic and right. awesome, and those are like the ones you want. And they have just a narrow hallway that goes down the side, like the Harry Potter train. Right. right. There you go. <laughs> but then... It seemed there was one more room that was just a lounge and chill area. Am I wrong? I, mean, I don't how many know. I, I don't remember. I have no it idea. It was insane. You were paying much closer attention than I was. <laughs> well, I was trying to figure this out. I, you know, I ride at Amtrak a lot, and I'm so fascinated by trains and how you can sort of fit so much in a small space. Uh-huh. I was trying to figure this whole train out. <laughs> well, one of the... the... One of the things about that and the geography of a train is, you know, there's really only two ways to go. You know, you can go towards the front or you can go towards the back. And I guess there are kind of little rooms and nooks and crannies that you can kind of be concealed in if people were walking by or whatever. But that was the one of the things that I was thinking about. You know, as they're going back and forth, moving around, you would think that they would have to run into the people that they were looking for or trying to avoid Kind of more than they do, but whatever. It's a passageway all the way through, except in those bigger rooms where people are kind of mushed together. Could you possibly snake around people or kind of do anything? Well, it was interesting. So you got David Copperfield in this movie. Right. We see him at the beginning, sort of packing, dragging his trunks into and up on the train, and a couple people interact with them. I think Doc makes some snotty comment. <laughs> yeah. I hate magic. It's just tricks. Come on, you love tricks. I love jokes. You're just pissed off because you can't figure it out. (laughs) These girls look faint. Can we do anything to revive them? I don't know, maybe some kind of injection? You girls better come back to the consulting room with us. We may have to do an exploratory. And that's a thread that's going throughout is how much Doc... He's just an asshole. Well, that's true. 
God, he's just a jerk. He's terrible. Like, I, you wonder, why are these people friends with him? He's not even the rich one. <laughs> like, if he were the rich one, maybe I could understand, but he's not. He's just a jerk, but he seems to be their leader, and everybody kind of that's all he, puts up with them. Yeah, puts up with them, except he plays practical jokes on them all the time, puts them down. But they're not even fun practical no. jokes. Like, they're mean. Like, he tries to set up, like, Jamie Lee Curtis's friend, uh, boyfriend, Mo, is Doc's best friend, and over the course of the movie, he keeps trying to get Mo in trouble. Like, yeah. he'll set Mo up with some other girl in a car, and then he'll send Jamie Lee Curtis to go talk to him. Like, oh, he's really sorry. He wants to talk to you. Like, what a dick move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a total dick. <clears throat> and he treats David Copperfield like a dick. Uh, he's And Mo just pretty much lays it out and says, oh, doesn't he intimidate you because you can't figure it out right. or something like that. Like the magician is the one guy on the whole train, which would be the dorkiest guy on the whole train who intimidates him, who pisses him off. Yeah. And uh, David Copperfield is giving these shows in this sort of bizarre stage at the end of the train. This was the only film David Copperfield's ever been in. Well, playing somebody else other than himself. Right, like a... Like a an act, like as an... Well, I mean, I guess when you're playing yourself, you're still playing well, your all, role. all magicians are actors. True. Playing magicians. True. But I know what you're saying. Yeah, playing a character... Right. ...who happens to be a magician. He's in this film. And he's giving these... He's doing some close-up magic with people. He's giving his stage performances where he's even doing, like, levitations and stuff, which is pretty impressive in the back of this yeah. train with this tiny little thing. Yet he's still so David Copperfield. Oh, yeah. He's definitely got that smarmy thing. And you can totally see he's definitely got a signature style of showmanship that I don't really think has evolved a whole lot. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, can I borrow that coin you have there? Yeah. Watch this. I take your cigarette and hold it up to your quarter. It'll seem to be sticking to it. Just like that. And if we keep turning it, it'll look like the cigarette's penetrating the quarter, just like that. Could you um, take this lighter here and uh, light it up? It'll give you cancer. It's her effect. It's okay. You know, we saw David Copperfield back in the 80s. My family went to see him when we lived in Washington, D.C. And at the time, I'm kind of a magician. I've been doing magic since I was a kid. And I don't do so much of it anymore, but it was like my first job. And so I've always been dipping in and out of the magic world a ton. And we went to see him in D.C. And we were so enthralled with his performance. He did this flying. That was when he was doing the flying thing. And we got, I mean, we were sitting actually pretty close. Mm -hmm. So super. It was sort of like like seeing my idol at the time. And he would come out for the curtain calls, and he just had this air about him that, you know, you expect performers when they're, especially when they're getting a lot of compliments from the audience and people are just going nuts, standing ovation we gave them. You want them to bend at the waist? Yeah. You know, at yeah. least once. Just give a proper bow, and he never did that, and that kind of bothered me as a kid. And then we went out into the meet and greet section afterwards, where you could get a picture, you buy a picture, and then you can have him autograph it. And the guy was sitting on what I can only describe as a throne. <laughs> like, a throne on a platform, so high up in the air that you could reach up and maybe touch his knee as an adult. He had an assistant on one end and an assistant on another end. And the line went to the assistant. You handed the assistant your photo. He hands, arms outstretched up to David, who scribbles on it a little bit, hands it down to the next assistant, who hands it to you, and he never once made contact with nice. anybody in the line. <clears throat> so 
I don't have the best impression of David right. Copperfield. He kind of came off as a douche. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know the guy or anything, David. If you're listening, I don't know. But there have been uh, I'm screwing up my future <laughs> magic. That, you know, there's there's been quite a bit of of rumors about his douchebaggery. Oh, my wife and I went to see him in Vegas uh, probably about six years ago, and he had this sort of an intimate evening with David Copperfield on the MGM, which may still be going on. Mm -hmm. And the poor guy just looked like he was totally phoning it in. Again, totally not impressed. Couldn't handle a foreign person from the audience who didn't speak the language. And you think, man, this guy's been doing this for so long, and he's traveled the world and done this stuff, and he just didn't even want to try. It was really sad. Well, that's too bad. Well, anyway, I don't know why we went off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) In the movie, I mean, he's... He, he looks like David. He looks like a young David Copperfield. Mm-hmm. He's kind of this goofy-looking guy. I mean, maybe you'll argue with me, and you know more about this than I do. But he's a talented guy. Oh, you know, he's no, a, undoubtedly, he's totally. <clears throat> and uh, you know, all of the illusions and things that he did, that he does in this movie, are legit. I oh, mean, yeah. He, yeah, he did them all. You know, there wasn't there weren't film magic, film magic right, things to right. It. It, he was really doing the illusions, and and they're pretty impressive. I mean, it, eventually you kind of figure out why they needed him there but for the first 40 minutes or so i was i just kind of felt like could they just get david copperfield so they were like okay (laughs) there'll be a magician on the train gotta weave him in here a whole bunch because he's our big guy you know (laughs) it did feel like they were doing an awful lot of magic and an awful lot of david copperfield without much payoff it wasn't like he was speaking character in the sense that he was buddy buddy with the people there he wasn't really weaving in as intricate to the plot he was an entertainer on the train who would pop in and out and do his shtick and then make those sort of sidelong sexy glances at right. Jamie Lee Curtis every now and then. Flirts with her in a couple of scenes. I don't know. I mean, I kind of got the sense that he was supposed to be a suspicious figure, um, but really it more just felt like, I'm a sexy vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I will creep along in the shadows and give you my sexy eyes. Um, and then, of course, you know, once it gets towards the end, I mean, we're uh, it's a slasher movie. So yeah. here's the plot. They're on a train. A bunch of people get slashed. You know, they that's do. that's what, you know, there's just kind of a series. The friends get kind of knocked off one by one in violent ways. It's one of those things where the killer is always wearing a costume that everybody's familiar with so they don't feel particularly threatened. And um, they think it's their friends. Right, so their guard is down, so you know they're pretty easily dispatched, and eventually it's discovered that a bunch of people have been killed, and then it's kind of a cat and mouse thing with the uh, the conductor kind of playing the Perry Mason <laughs> role. Yeah. And I liked how they did that. Actually, I was really impressed because, and this might be a little hole in the plot too, but I guess we can give this killer a wide berth. After the guy gets killed with the sword, the second kill is in the bathroom. Mm Mm-hmm. On a train that only has two bathrooms, right. which you would think would be used a lot more. Especially as much as they're drinking, oh my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, all right, it's a movie, right? So this birth area and this bathroom is totally pretty empty yeah. most of the time. He kills this guy dressed in a full-on like lizard. Le- lizard suit, right, in the bathroom by smashing his head into the mirror. And then... The one black guy whose name was Jackson, I which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> 
that is true. <laughs> I also thought it was kind of hilarious that the one black guy, also his girlfriend, was the only other slightly ethnic non-white woman in the whole train. Yeah, and I was looking at the cast list, and I noticed that that actress was Vanity, and I said, please, please let this be Vanity of Vanity 6. Do you remember Vanity 6 from the 80s? It was a girls' group. I think it was like... No. It was, I think it was one of Prince's was girls' it group. It was her! Oh my gosh! <laughs> it was awesome. Well, she was gorgeous. Yeah, it was so pretty. Yeah. <clears throat> and so he gets killed, and then the killer comes back out, and then has a key to be able to lock the door so that it looks like it's occupied mm-hmm. and it's locked, so you can lock it from the outside. Which I thought, oh, that's pretty smart. Because the first thing I'm thinking as soon as somebody gets killed on the train is where in the hell do you hide this Right. Body? You know? That was cool. That bathroom could be occupied all night long with a hundred different people, and every time you checked on it, it'd be occupied. So nobody would think anything of it. Right. But why did the killer have a key? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was the thing where I'm saying, yeah, God, I... <laughs> that's why I thought maybe at that time, maybe they were playing around with a little bit with the conductor. It seemed like yeah. a red herring that maybe the conductor, one of his guys, would be doing something. Yeah, maybe. It's really never explained. It really isn't, because you can't even imagine a killer would have gotten to that area where the keys would be. I don't know. I Well, I, there's kind of a twist at the end. When it's revealed who the killer is, maybe that killer had some skill where they were able to somehow mm. procure a key somehow. That's true. Uh, sneakily, I guess. That's true. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a plot hole, frankly, no, but whatever. Is. Well, it's as much a plot hole as getting pushed off a train, but actually you held on. Right, after you've been to... stabbed through the chest with a sword and <laughs> stabbed through the face with a... I don't know. It's one of those movie things. <laughs> right. Oh, kind yeah. Of an invincible, kind of an invincible you know, killer. stabbed in the face with absolutely no mark. Yeah. Oh, wait. Did, he Did you a see a mark? I don't know. That I don't was remember. a full-on face stab, though. With a great big. It was one of those like one of those spiky things that you put receipts down on. And it was probably a good six, eight inches long. Oh, and geez. she's Jamie Lee stabs him right in the face with it. That's a if, major. If there was any, well, and then after she does that, there's all they they tussle and there's all kinds of blood. She gets blood oh, all yeah. over her face and she gets blood all over her hands. And then. The killer gets thrown off the train, hangs on, is able to crawl back in somehow, comes back, and seems pretty much okay. Yeah. <laughs> After also being stabbed in the back with a sword. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. That I don't know where that sword came from either. There were just swords well, laying around billion. all over the place. That's true. They I, all I think the they gym. were supposed to be all the music, the magician's <laughs> swords, but they were just handy. Like, you could just reach to your left and grab one in any given circumstance. He probably hid one in that berth that I, hadn't been sure. occupied for Why two not? years just because he needed later right you probably had to produce it you know later just in case uh <laughs> we're gonna get to that right the the sort of battle scene because i thought that was cool too so anyway this guy is dead bloodied and broken mirror and everything in this bathroom and then the conductor comes by and people are trying to get in they can't finally he comes by with his own key and he knocks on the door anybody in there Pick up if you're in there, otherwise I'm going to use the pass key. All right, I'm coming in. And he discovers the full-on body. And I'm thinking, oh, this is pretty early in the movie for somebody to have discovered there's a killer on this train. Right. Well, and this was interesting, too. He was pretty nonchalant about it. Yeah. Like, oh, he, he walks back to the back and there's one of the other conductors or whoever it is back there. He's like, there's a dead kid back there. <laughs> Now, I, I think, I I got the impression that he initially thought that it was some sort of 
accident, maybe? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was tons of blood all over. And there was a bottle, like, <laughs> stuffed in, in the mouth. and Yeah, so I, I think he maybe thought it was an accident. But anyway, he you know, he takes the other conductor. He sends the other conductor back there to kind of guard the door. And I guess he goes and looks around or something. I don't know. He comes back, and he says, did you look in there? And the other guy's like, no. And he's like, well, I hate to do this to you. Yeah. But... Um, so he opens the door, and the body is still there. But all the blood is gone. And again, now, yeah, you can clean up a porcelain sink. That's one thing. But when he initially saw the body, there was blood all over the costume, too. I don't know how somebody would feasibly clean that up. But still, Uh you know, willing suspension, I guess. Whatever. So, uh, and now the body, which the conductor initially had, I think, felt for a pulse. I mean, he he definitely touched the guy. But now the body is moving as though he's just super, super drunk, like passed out drunk. Um, And of course, we figure out, it's not tough to figure out that the killer has just returned and switched out the body and now he's in the different costume. Yeah, Uh, there are all kinds of problems with this. It's nice that it introduces this idea that the conductor is doubting himself. But the conductor's not like, he's totally lucid. Yeah. He hasn't had anything to drink. Mm-hmm. He has really no good reason to doubt himself. So he thinks it's kind of odd, but he doesn't say anything. But he doesn't remove the freaking mask from the guy's head. Right. And, which is something you would do even if the guy was just drunk. Right. You'd pull the mask off, or your friend is there, and she'd pull it Because he hands her off... To, he hands this lizard person right. off to Jamie Lee Curtis, who assumes it's Jackson, and she kind of walks off with him. Well, I, I think he, he actually hands her off to Jamie Lee Curtis's best friend. Oh, you're friend. right. Uh, and, uh, and her name is Mitchie. Mitchie. And she's Doc's boyfriend? Girlfriend. Girlfriend? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, she goes off with him. You know, it's funny. It's the 80s, I guess. <laughs> Maybe pre-AIDS scare, but they're all very sexually liberated. <laughs> Like, they all are, like, in couples, but all it takes is for the other partner of the couple to just be absent for a moment before they're all of a sudden all over somebody else. Somebody else else who they know pretty well, apparently. Yeah, it's like, I guess they're a really tight group of friends, I don't know. So, Mitchie takes uh, Lizard Guy into one of those curtained uh, sleeping areas, and they... She's getting frisky with him or whatever. Oh, and, and that's at the same time that Moe's decided he's going to get frisky with the the val, uh, pet with what pet, a, right. <laughs> the ditzy blonde. <laughs> there, there's there's lots of swapping going on on this train. <laughs> kind of convoluted, but hey, you know they're college kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were college kids once. <laughs> My college wasn't like that. Sadly, speak for yourself. <laughs> It's weird. Uh, it's just, it's an excuse. It's an excuse to get people alone together. Right. And right. to get the killer alone with someone, which is how it always is in these movies. Um, and I, I feel like there's really no reason to to go into the details of the kills because no. they just, they just keep, they just get, keep getting picked off. Yeah. And, and it and, is what it is. And the bodies kind of get discovered and then they find, they figure out, okay, there's a killer on the train. And so they stop the train. Which honestly should have been done the first time somebody was found dead. I suppose, but what I was thinking was, what is the point of stopping? Now, I guess their purpose in stopping was to get everybody off the train, and then they're going to search the train. But I'm thinking, 
who are they searching for? No, I mean, they don't true. know who the killer is. The killer could just be out. I, I guess, you know, the, the conductor, the main conductor, once they get off the train, he tells them all to take their masks off, and they all do. So I guess if there was a stranger among them, somebody might notice, but it just seemed kind of odd. Yeah. But they, you know, they get them off the train, they search the train, they can't find the killer. But meanwhile, conveniently, somebody has a yearbook uh, on the train with them, and they, they kind of put two and two together. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis says something like, What do we have in common? <laughs> You and me and Mitchie and the guys? Doc, we heard it. What are you talking about? Kenny Hampson. You're stunned with the corpse? Well, nobody do that for a goddamn prank. It wasn't just a prank. Doc, he was sick. He's saying this to Doc. Right. Outside. And so they get back on the train and they look in the yearbook and they see like an advertisement or something for a, a think, magic show? I think it was just a feature on him as a magician. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of Kenny, the guy that uh, that they had played the prank on four years ago, and he's a magician, so they say, oh my gosh, it's the magician. Plus, earlier Doc had said, a magician? We didn't hire a magician. Oh, that's right. There's some, there's some early on. So again, now they believe, and I think that we're supposed to believe, and I kind of did, even though I thought it was weird and kind of a stretch. We were supposed to believe that David Copperfield was this kid four years later, and I guess they just don't recognize, they didn't recognize (laughs) him. He had plastic surgery or something weird. I mean, they're kind of similar in feature. That kid, that guy and he are kind, I mean, they're both dark haired and skinny and kind of dorky looking, but I mean, it doesn't look like the guy, but I I think they think it's him and that's where they go from then on. And so they, they get everybody else on the train they say we'll keep everybody in one cart we'll we'll keep looking the conductor goes up into the magic room you know the stage room and uh he sees the magician's assistant who's this you know typical beautiful woman assistant he sees her and he kind of covertly cues her to come along with him so they can isolate the magician in in that one car and she comes along and uh then they search the car for David Copperfield, but they can't find him. But this shouldn't come as any surprise because he's a magician yeah. and he's been Can disappear. disappearing and reappearing in other places throughout uh, the whole movie. So Yeah, I mean, there was a whole trick where he disappeared from the front of the car under a sheet and then reappeared behind them all. You know, there, which is an interesting thing to do. You establish your person as a magician who can do these these feats, and then suddenly his ability to jump around this train car where you can only go forward or backwards and hide these bodies becomes a little more explainable. Yeah. You know, or at least right. in the movie world. Well, and it would make sense. If he is the killer, what an excellent M.O. Yeah. You know? I mean, he's got the skills. Yeah. Um, and he's high profile. So right. who would suspect the highest profile guy on the right. train probably? Right. One killing. of the only strangers. They all know each other. So yeah. Um, so anyway, they can't find him. They, I, you know, they isolate Jamie Lee Curtis in this room. One of the porters is guarding her. Like you said, it reminded <laughs> you of Black Christmas. You know, they leave the uh, vulnerable girl alone in a room you know smart thing to do right um, of course the porter gets killed and then we finally have the confrontation yep and the confrontation's cool it's pretty good i thought it was a great uh, again you're confining it to this small space 
and just these two people in there. And I was really kind of shocked by the brutality of it. Mm. I mean, the killer is again in a mask, a different mask than we've seen before, and he's, I think, kind of robed in, like, these black robes or whatever. And he gets a hold of Jamie Lee Curtis, and they, I mean, they really struggle. He has her down on the ground. Um, He's strangling her for a while, which is, you know, pretty violent. And then she, I think... Um, is able to kind of move his hand up to her mouth and she bites him. And at one point, he smacks her really hard. Like, it's real pretty explicit violence that even in these kind of movies, yeah, you see somebody get a machete to uh, the head or whatever, but you don't often see a man, you know, striking a woman like that. It was really some kind of brutal stuff. Well, considering the fact that the kills really up until then had been... Pretty typical. Pretty typical and pretty quick and pretty off camera. Yeah. Uh, You'd see the guy start to reach out for her. You'd see a knife raise, but you're not seeing the penetration. You're not seeing... Then you just see the aftermath. Whereas this was full-on brutal like the rest of the movie hadn't been. Yeah, and, and she puts up a great fight. You know, she's hitting back, kicking him. At one point, they end up in that kind of behind-the-engine room where there's a caged area. They fight in there. She locks herself in the cage that for a while. That was interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like that before where she lo- like literally locks herself in a literal cage. Yeah. And he's outside of it. And it's just a wire cage. Right. And he's looking for ways to get into her. And he finds a way. He's got that huge pole of some pole kind. with the thing on the end and starts knocking the lights out and it's clear he can jab this pole through that cage he could do it all day long if right. nobody came around you know and that's when she finds the on the desk the like the receipt holder with the big spike on it and she as he's close trying to get her with the pole she stabs him in the face like right in the cheek with it yeah. um, he falls over in pain she kicks the door open and gets out as, as well as she's locked this door in that he can't get in she's able to miraculously kick those chains well out. right and then and she runs to the door that leads to the next car. That door had been locked and chained previously, right? Yes, you're right. And then yeah. she's able to just really quickly get out. And then they st- struggle in between the cars. Uh, so that, you know, they're exposed to the open air and they struggle in between the cars. And she's fighting him and she pushes him off. And of course, yeah. having seen a million horror movies, we you knew. know, <laughs> you know, he's holding on there. And of course, he is. And well, this is where the, the, the geography of the train kind of got messed up. Well, really got messed up. Because after he kicks her off the train, we have that moment where they leave her alone, and then we see him come down outside the window. Yeah. Right? And we see, oh, he's not dead, and he's going to... That moment, too, is is really spooky, because he's masked and kind of bloody, but it's also like all of a sudden he's like the amazing (laughs) Spider-Man. He can just, like, he's upside down, and somehow he turns right side up outside the window, and then... It's kind of funny. She ends up wandering through the train because a couple people come in and say, hey, they have coffee and there's stuff. Why don't you come join the rest of the group that's all huddled apparently at the other end of the train? So we see her leave. And the next scene is that she's backstage. Now, we know that this stage is supposed to be at the end of the train Uh because when the conductor comes through to check things out... Looking for David Copperfield. Looking for David Copperfield and not finding him when they think he's the killer, he goes to that behind the stage to that back door and it's the end of the train. He looks out and he sees the back tracks. Right. So how did she transport... I have no idea. (laughs) It made no sense. There were other weird plot holes, too. There was one guy, her boyfriend, Mo. How the 
hell did Mo die? Like he was just sitting there watching the magic show and then he was dead. Like, That's right. In I have a crowd no, of people. Yeah, I have no idea. That what made happened. no sense. Well, <clears throat> she finds that David Copperfield, in fact, is also dead because the right. door and she looks through some papers that he has and sees, I guess, clippings and pictures of him to realize, okay, well, maybe this isn't the guy. At the same time, the door of the ma- magic cabinet behind him with the sword cabinet opens mm-hmm. up. And I knew this was happening. Yeah. I knew somebody was going to find a body in the sword cabinet sure. with sword stabbed through it. I thought they were going to discover it earlier. But yeah. and, I, and I figured it would be him. I figured it would be David Copperfield. I thought that it was too obvious. And oh, yeah. plus, ever since they had thought that it was him, he just totally disappeared. Like, mm. he wasn't popping up anywhere ominously. He was just gone. Yeah. So I figured it was going to be him. And it was. And so she runs to try to find the conductor and say, oh, it's not him. It's not him. And she finds the conductor in that cage room again. And she sits down across from him and um, he kind of takes her hands. But then he clutches her hands kind of violently. And she looks up and it's a masked figure. And this is the real killer. And it's a reveal that I really wasn't expecting. No, I wasn't either. It was it was quite good. The reveal was was good. Again, the geography's totally messed up because somehow she jumps from the very end of the train again back to the front. back to the very front without passing through anybody. But yeah, it was a good reveal, and it turns out that the guy was the magician's assistant the whole time, which is a possibility that briefly flashed through my head. It didn't mind. I didn't think about it for a second after the kill. I believe it was the one in the bathroom. The next shot is backstage with David Copperfield playing with the swords in the sword cabinet, and she walks in. And it was just an interesting entrance, gotcha. which came right after a kill, which briefly made me think, oh, maybe that's it, which, of course, I completely dismissed, because how could it be her? Right, and it, it had just turned out that Kenny, the guy that they had played the prank on, was in drag as the magician's assistant this whole time, and pretty convincing drag. Yeah. Now, I will say at one point, <laughs> at one point, there was a, a, a time when David Copperfield was like, I made my dis- assistant disappear before, but now I need to bring her back. And so he like pulls this sheet up above his head, and he looks lowers it again and it's her and as her head neck and shoulders appeared i thought she's kind of manly yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a manish super but you kind of think well it's a model thing or right. whatever it's super skinny but it was just a fleeting thought i did not see the twist coming yeah it was a good twist uh and they you know surprisingly they've really already had their final battle essentially right. so this one goes pretty quickly he and i thought it was a pretty creepy yeah it was I and mean, they kind he kind of you know, she says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, um, you know, for this prank or whatever. And But he seemingly is kind of wanting to relive it. Don't have to. Kiss me, Elena. Kiss me, Kelly. Kiss me. Kiss me. Kiss me. And you see the flashbacks connecting the two, which you totally don't need. <laughs> but, you know, they put the pieces together. And so she does kiss him. And just like before, when he had almost kissed the corpse in the beginning, he flips out. Yeah. In the same way that he had before. Starts flailing his arms, spinning around, and, screaming. And conveniently, there's some something hanging there that he gets I think it was his in. cape. I think he, like, threw his cape up oh. and was kind of, like, tangled in that. Because I thought it was weird, too. I was like, where did this come from? Okay. I'm pretty sure it was his cape. Yeah, it was a total flashback, which was kind of cool. Right. And uh, at the, that top moment, the conductor comes in at just the right time with the shuffle mm-hmm. and with those those great, almost cartoonish shovel clanging noises. Yep. Hits him a couple times, knocks him out of the train. And they happen to be going over a bridge, and he falls down into what I can imagine is the, the cold, freezing waters of the Canadian North right. or something. 
I don't know about you, but it was a little sad. It it surprised me because I thought with that ending, what would have been so easy to do would have just been to have him splash in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he could have come back in the sequel. Um, but he doesn't <laughs> land in the water. He, you know, it's a, a huge, you know, train bridges are really tall and he, <laughs> he falls onto the ice and you see a big thud and, you know, his <laughs> limbs kind of go all akimbo. Uh, and then he floats down the river and that's it, right? That's Isn't that the, the end, end of the movie. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting and almost, I don't know, maybe you didn't feel that way, but for me, the amount of time that they spent dwelling on his lifeless body sliding through the snowy, icy river out into nothingness made kind of a statement. I, it was sad. It, it brought you back to this damaged guy. Right. Instead of the murderer, right. uh, you know, it brought you back to his motives. And wow, it is kind of a whole tragic story of this horrible prank gone awry on a mentally ill, unstable person. Well, and, uh, you know, that's not terribly uncommon. I mean, a lot of these villains are kind of tragic in their way, and and this is, you know, he was... Jamie Lee Curtis says something along the lines of, I tried to go visit him after the prank, and they wouldn't let me see him because they said he was unstable. He had killed somebody before. Maybe it was an accident, but they didn't know. So he was already troubled, and then, you know, he's a geeky kid, and they play this traumatic prank on him. Um, So, in a sense, I mean, they're it's extreme, but they're kind of getting their comeuppance a little bit. Um, You know, it's it's like uh, again, if you haven't seen Friday the Thirteenth, which I can't (laughs) imagine you've seen it, but you know, it's it's the same thing. Uh, In the original, the mom is seeking revenge for the counselors letting her child die. In in the sequel, and all the sequels, really, it's kind of Jason returning to avenge his mother in a sense, and they are kind of tragic figures. So, in that way, it's kind of sad. In the fact that it's an 80s horror movie, I'm not going to lose any sleep with that. <laughs> it didn't touch your heart like it touched no. mine. <laughs> well, things I really liked about this movie. I loved the bit of business at the beginning that we had mentioned between Carney and his his wife in a wheelchair. I couldn't tell or if his it was... Wife or I, his girlfriend. I couldn't or just... tell if it was his wife or if it was just somebody that he works with who they share an affectionate relationship. She's in a wheelchair and they kind of dance together for a little, it's, it's a sweet moment. And then he asks, are you sure you're not going to come with us? And he leans down and I thought that he was going to give her, give her a kiss, but he didn't. And that's kind of what made me think, well, maybe they're just tight, you know, maybe they're just good friends, but it it was a nice, you're right. It was a nice little scene. It it was unnecessary, but it was a nice touch. And to have her in a wheelchair, it's just not something that you see that often in these films doing, especially in that era. Right. And who knows, maybe the actress uh, was in a wheelchair, maybe it was a character choice, I don't know. But the interaction between the two of them was sweet. And it kind of established his character as kind of this genteel, fatherly almost kind of figure. Grandfatherly even, maybe. And and that's another thing I really liked. I like this sort of folksiness that happened. You know, there's a lot of business early on between him and the conductor. Well, he's the conductor, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Kim and the engine operator and the coal shovelers, right. who their faces are dirty, <laughs> like coal shovelers right. would be, I guess. It's kind of funny. But there's a lot of folksy dialogue between them, where for a while it almost seems to be like they're apologizing for the fact that this movie features a train. <laughs> it almost seems like the writer is thinking, who the hell rides trains anymore? Right. right. And they've got to sort of explain it. She's still running hard on you? Nope. Pull down the grade. She's really beautiful, that old engine. They don't make them like that anymore. Thank God for little favors. You're going to see a train on the cover of Time magazine one of these days. 
And I'm going to be in that cab in the picture. I'll be up in the Concord, and you'll be on welfare. You're digging your own grave with that shovel career was. What's the price of gas right now? Pretty soon, the only way you'll get that beer can someplace is you load on a flat car. Guess he'll be driving the train. You can cook, you can take a shower, you can watch TV, and by God, you can hang a left if you feel like it. Poor deluded boy. To the point where southern twang starts to kind of come out <laughs> in their voices, and they're dropping the G's at the end of their words. Yeah. It's just the most odd and charming and strange bits of business for them to be talking about the train so much. There was a, an interesting moment, too, between Mo and Doc. That was so weird. You know what exactly what yes. I'm talking about, right? It was so weird. Mo's complaining about his girlfriend. Who's Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. She kind of goes, I don't remember what happened. But he gives them this really nice, sincere look in his eye and says, She'll get over it. You know, Doc, I'm not so sure this time. Well, if she dumps, she always got me, you know. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> right. It's it's totally... Like, I keep expecting it to be the ha, punch you in the shoulder kind of thing. But they just, that's, they just leave it at that. Like, yeah. It was weird. What just happened there, right? <laughs> it was very I guess, interesting. You know, I guess they're a really tight group of friends. It, all the men, and, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, but it seems like all the men on this pla- on this train or in this fraternity are just creepy predators. Yeah. You know, they're all... Well, and the girls are all kind of... Total sluts. Yeah. Yeah. Except much. for Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. Which... And maybe uh, Vanity, the black girl. <laughs> she was kind of nice. The rest of them were just... <laughs> well, she's the one who didn't love have the one me. you're with. Yeah, <laughs> at that moment, <laughs> it was great. I don't know what what was your final impression of this film. I I think that it is a perfectly fine slasher movie, yeah. and I think that if you like '80s slashers, you'll like this movie. If you like the original uh, Friday the Thirteenth, if you like Halloween, it's it's fairly typical. It, it you know has some unique twists that you don't see in all of them. I'm a little bit surprised that I hadn't seen it before and that I don't see it mentioned more often. Because mm-hmm. it's not bad. Well, it, and the big names in it. Yeah. Honestly, it's a, I think it's a cut above... It's not a cut above Halloween by any means. No, I don't think it's as good as Halloween, but, but it's... The Fog and Prom Night, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, it's way better than either of those, I thought. I enjoyed it. Well... Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. It's set at New Year's. <laughs> Happy New Year. See, we worked that in. <laughs> we hope that uh, you've enjoyed the podcast this year. We have many more episodes planned for 2016. Please, if you enjoyed this, share it with a friend. Check us out on Facebook and on our website. Share us. Also, we're on iTunes now. We got iTunes and Stitcher out there. If you want to download the stuff to your device and listen to our sweet, sweet voices in your ear, (laughs) you can do that. We will see you next year. And until then, I'm Todd. I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. (laughs) 